Welcome to 74 Escapes new podcast series, Breaking Bread with Vera Lulu. I'm Vera, and I will take you on a gastronomic journey to explore food as an expression of cultural identity. I'll be hosting chefs and industry professionals from all over the world to discuss everything about this art form that really nourishes our souls. Let's start. On this episode of Breaking Bread with Vera Lulu, I have the honor to be speaking with Tom Higgins. Tom is one of the most creative chefs in Britain and the youngest to win two Michelin stars at the age of 26. Raised in Norfolk, he grew up in a house with attention and infinite pleasure for food in a garden, baking at the age of eight, making gems and chutneys. An already impressive career that includes time spent for Pierre Kaufman and Joël Robuchon, he went on as the head chef at Pierre Atterre for five years. His latest restaurant news is his return to fine dining that is a unique and intimate dining journey. And today, I'm pleased to be speaking with Tom. Chef Tom, how are you doing, mate? Very well, very well. Nice to be with you on here. So, yeah, it's uh, extraordinary times. May I just add that? (laughs) (laughs) Chef, what, what was it like growing up in Norfolk? I grew up in Moscow. In much colder climates, but my yeah. grandmother um, had massive garden where she was growing vegetables and fruits, mm. and this was no irrigation system back then. So she was carrying a big uh, wooden stick with a big um, buckets of water to oh, water yeah. everything from a pond to. So it was wow. it was really fascinating, and she was making jams and pickles and growing potatoes and. Mm-hmm. Uh, because the climates are so cold, so when she was uh, growing strawberries, the scarecrows would come, so she would put like a <laughs> something to it was it was really a fun experience uh, mm. up until her seventies she didn 't want to give it up wow. um, so so it 's quite fascinating so tell me what it was like growing up with vegetable garden where we lived in Norfolk uh, we were right in the middle of the countryside, so um, and my mother you know my mother was a very sort of keen gardener as well as as well as being you know a cook and um we basically had the luxury of having you know fresh fresh vegetables you know every day and she was very much into seasonal obviously seasonal cooking and so again we learned at a very young age you know what seasonality was so you know we weren't eating strawberries or asparagus in the winter and so everything was really thought through properly and um and so once we were she could see that we were sort of interested in the gardening apart from doing all the weeding and all the boring stuff. Um, and she could see that we're a little bit more interested in what to do with all the vegetables and the fruits that we picked. Um, you know, she kind of then took us into the kitchen and just, you know, gave us some very simple things to do. And, and then we kind of, you know, got a little bit more confident and apart from obviously doing <clears throat> cakes and things that's a very, you know, a little bit more easy to do. We were sort of helping cooking the family meal and, and things like this. Um, and then we also had, you know, a part of, uh, the vegetable garden as well, where we started growing all our own things as well. So it kind of took off, you know, it took off from there really. And, uh, and my father, my father was in the wine business. Uh, so he had a wine shop and then also importing, uh, wine from, from Europe and France. And so we were also as a family, we were doing a lot of traveling, um, throughout, you know, throughout France. Uh, mainly sort of in central France and, and to the south a little bit. Um, but that also sort of gave me a, a taste, you know, for good food. You have a yeah. twin brother. So what is he up to these days? What's his so my, like? 
so my twin brother is in uh in the usa and uh he's he and i sort of had different paths because um at some point you know a long long time ago when we were all 23 or whatever i was then starting to work with uh joel robichon in paris and uh, i'd only been there sort of you know six eight weeks and uh he came and visited me with uh with the parents and we had always promised each other you know when we were sort of you know teenagers 13 14 15 16 that we would do a restaurant together that would be our thing and because it would be quite cool two twins and everything and then he told me when he came to paris that he didn't want to do a restaurant with me and that he was going to go to the to the us and i was like you know heartbroken on tears say again and for what reason well just because he wanted you know he wanted to go you know to the, to the states and he'd been offered something there and so he went off to the states and i was just like well you know okay well that's it i'm gonna do my own thing and then basically, yeah, we kind of then had, you know, two separate paths. So he's been pretty much, you know, since we're 23 in the States and he's worked all over in the States. I mean, he's been, you know, right up north near the Canadian border and sort of Lake Placid in a beautiful lodge up there. And then he went to Manhattan. Then he went to Philadelphia. Then he went back to New York and then he went, now he's back in uh, Washington. Um, and now he's running his own sort of restaurants there. They're more casual um restaurants mm -hmm. so um so he's you know he's pretty settled um and the only thing is you know he's now got you know he's now got kids um so i'm kind of i kind of tease him a little bit because i say like you know you've got to be careful because eventually you're going to have american kids yeah um so i don't think you're going to want that you know sort of bratty american children so, mean that two twins separated went on to do you know food but in different countries I know. Yeah, it's bizarre. It is. But I mean, we had, we had some, you know, some good time together in, uh, in the UK. You know, we lived, when we left Norfolk, we came to London when we were 18. So, you know, we lived together for, you know, the best part of, you know, five years. And then, um, and then he came over, you know, a few times and worked with me because when he was getting his sort of green card and everything. Um, so he came back to the UK for a couple of years. And then, um, and then he, you know, and then he went back. But I hope, fingers crossed, eventually we will do something together. I mean, that's kind of what we would both love to do. It'll probably be probably something in the, in this, you know, in the states for sure. Because um, I think the appeal would be, you know, would be more that. So we're still, you know, hopeful that we can do something. Yeah. But we'd love to have you here. But although I think UK has much better produced. <laughs> I dream of the day I move back and have my Scottish languistines and yeah. <laughs> it's such a rich country. I mean, France is right there. It's just uh, proximity to everything. It's just fantastic. It's mm -hmm. really dreamy. <laughs> so tell me about your love for baking. You started to bake at eight, at eight years. Yeah. Eight. Yeah. So yeah. So I mean, fantastic baker, correct? Say again. Your mom was a great baker. Yeah, she was. Yeah, and um, no, I think you know, for a lot of for a lot of you know kids, I think it's probably the first port of call is doing something you know sweet and it's easy. You put in a mixer and you know you make a cake and and you progress from there. And I think you know it's always um, you know a nice a nice place to start. And I think you know kids particularly, you know, they always love you know eating the raw cake mix and and things like that as I did. 
Um, and then we you know we slowly progressed, sort of you know cooking in the kitchen as well. Uh, and even you know my I have two kids. Uh, they are now six and six and nine, and they're the same. You know they don't want to really do anything savory. It's just you know desserts or puddings or cakes or biscuits, and that's it. But hopefully it will you know it will progress into savory at some point. <laughs> so coming um, you know coming from a Russian background, we really have affections with chutneys and jams. I mean, that's all mm. Russians do. Um, and I remember doing strawberry jams and cherries and pitting cherries. What are your favorites? Do you still make jams? Oh yeah, no, I do, definitely. I know I love jams. Uh, so I do pretty much every, you know, when there is a season of obviously different fruits, I always, you know, I always make the jam. So be it blackberry or strawberry, raspberry, you know, particularly gooseberries. Yeah, particularly if you can get, you know, wild, you know, wild fruits. So like a, you know, like a wild blackberry. You know, the flavor and the taste is so much better than obviously, you know, shop bought uh, because it just they just have this sort of real depth of sort of natural taste to them. Um, and also, you know, strawberries or marmalade. Um, you know, I love marmalade. It's quite a British thing. Um, and they'll be in season, you know, very, very soon. So sort of end of end of December, beginning of January, you'll start to get your several oranges. And then that's when, you know, the Brits go and make their marmalade for the year. <laughs> I personally love marmalade, but I'm, I'm a savory kind of person. So when I have foie gras, like I have to have my marmalade. So it has to be like a salty, sweet contrast. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's just my go-to, but... <laughs> In Japan, we actually we were doing like a roast petal jam, which is oh, no. cool. I, I still, I mean, I now when I buy roses and when they die, I make a roast petal jam. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Um, so as I understood, you you spent your holidays in France. Um, I mean, which exposed you to French cuisine and, and proximity to mm. this so close, but. Like, tell me about the experiences impacted you and what you loved the most. Well, it was, um, I guess when we were sort of, you know, I think 11, we really started going on holidays to France. So we did, you know, quite a lot throughout uh, the Auvergne, which is in the central France. And, you know, we, my father, because of his trips, he would use that as his sort of hub to go then to the different wine regions. So eventually he bought a, uh, we bought a house down there in the Auvergne and then uh, and then we would go there a lot, you know, Easter breaks, summer holidays, Christmas, everything. And uh, and it was just, you know, so beautiful because we were literally like in a tiny, tiny little hamlet of a village. There was just like us and four other houses and they were, two of them were farmers. One was a sort of market gardener and then the other person, you know, was was retired. So we had pretty much, you know, every other morning, fresh milk from the, from the farmer and then fresh vegetables when we wanted. And, you know, it's kind of a very simple life, but very nice, you know, and, um, video France, it's, you can go to the smallest village and have the best food. Yeah, totally. And, yeah. Uh, and the, the amazing, and mm. the, you can have amazing butchers and, and cheeses and have a good wine. Yeah. yeah so it was, yeah, it was, it was really, you know, really pleasant times. And, um, and you know, summer holidays would be, you know, we'd be there for like six weeks and eight weeks. So it was great. And then, um, and yeah, as I said, sort of, you know, 
that sort of life in you know life in France as a as a child definitely you know gave me an insight into you know French cooking and and everything and and we on coming back from a skiing holiday um, with my parents we literally had uh, we had a stop on the way can't remember which place it was but anyway we had our I would say our first proper sort of Michelin dining experience and my father he always takes or gets recommendations you know from different growers or suppliers of where to stop because he obviously was driving all the time and um anyway he put us into this hotel and he didn't know at all that it was a quite a swish hotel with a michelin star and everything so this was then 92 no sorry uh 82 82 83 so it's like when nouvelle cuisine was all the you know all the rage and i still very much remember you know the meal that me and my brother had because it was just you know very very small portions and everything was very precise my mother and father were having you know foie gras and frog's legs and snails and veal and everything so it was you know it was very interesting that's beautiful um Wow. So, you know, I, I, it's, t- tell me about your experience with Pierre Kaufman. It's, he's such an inspiration. It's what was it like working for him? So, yeah, I mean, out of the two chefs, well, out of all the chefs that I worked with, I would say, you know, Pierre Kaufman and Joel Robichon were probably the two that most influenced me. And both very, very different in terms of, you know, styles and tastes and cooking ability and everything. So Pierre Kaufman is very much, you know, because he was from Gascony, so his, his dishes were very hearty. They had a lot of depth of flavor. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> How are you? Yes, and that's oh, why wow. I love working with Pascal. It's like ah, okay, more experience. So it was yeah. His food was you know was was uh, was very simple, but it had a lot of flavor. It was very you know very simply put together. It wasn't near particularly so creative, uh, but you know that it's pure and beautiful. Yeah, it's exactly. Simple, simple, you know, great, great produce all the time. And, um, and he was a very good, you know, he was a very good hands-on um, teacher. So he, you know, he taught us a lot and he made sure that everyone, you know, really worked hard. That's for sure. He was, he was very, he was very much a hard taskmaster and very vocal in how he wanted things all the time. So it wasn't, it wasn't a quiet kitchen. That's for sure um but as i said you know he was he's very good at getting you know the absolute best flavor out of you know out of everything and then joel robichon was completely completely different uh so i worked at the avenue pancari um the three star there and um you know again super amazing you know technician um in terms of his dishes very very as you know very very creative uh very intricate in terms of the level of detail on each dish you know some processes and steps would just take you know five minutes for one dish which is just crazy um and no expense spared whatsoever on getting the absolute best of the best produce i mean it was just you know it was phenomenal you know the level of of standards that he you know that he really put us through was was incredible and i would say you know, both of them were very hard to work for. Uh, but I would say, you know, in terms of actual physical hours, you know, Joel Robichon was the toughest. I mean, we would, you know, we'd be working 20 hours a day, like nonstop. So 
it was tough but you learned you know you obviously learned a lot um and you know it was just an amazing you know amazing experience to be in the in the kitchen you know with him I must say I got a little bit of Pierre Kaufman vibes from when I was working for Mascal. It was only maybe a month, month and a half, but it was really, really fun. And he was such a great teacher and he was, he was just a beautiful human being and a great chef. And mm -hmm. I really felt the most inspired when I worked with him. Yeah. So uh, I did feel a lot what you were just talking about from Pascal. Um, mm. And you were the youngest chef to get to Michelin stars in UK. Yeah. <laughs> so tell me, talk about it, what it was like. You were there for five years. Yeah, so uh, so basically when I was uh, when I was I was twenty-one uh, when I went and worked, sorry, twenty-two when I went and worked at Pieter first as like a chef de party. And then I was promoted to, you know, sous chef after, a, you know, not even a year. And then after that, uh, you know, I went and worked. I was there for just over a year and then I went and worked someone else. And then, um, and then I went uh, when I was, I guess, 20, when was I, 24, 20, yeah, 24. I then went to work with uh, Jean Robichon and that's how, so basically the story is that when I was, uh, when I was going to work with Joel Robichon, it was the chef, the old chef from Pierre de Terre, who had worked with him like 15 years before, um, had got me, you know, a job with him. So, so when I was there, uh, I stayed with Joel Robichon for like a year, and then I went to work for another chef, uh, Gérard Boyer, uh, at Le Créa in Reims. And, um, and I when I was... <laughs> again. It's my favorite. <laughs> uh, when I was when I was there, so I then, you know, just turned uh, twenty five. I had a call from the restaurant manager at Pierre de Terre saying that um, the chef Richard, you know, he was leaving. Uh, you know, would I would I be interested in you know in taking over? And you had to leave France. You have to leave Paris. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was in. I was in Paris. <laughs> I was in uh, I was in Reims and in uh, Champagne, so uh, so I basically had only I'd almost been there a year uh, or, or three quarters of a year, and um, anyway, so I said, look, you know, I'm going to definitely take that you know position because you never get offered anything like that. So um, you're like, wow, but I have to leave friends, which I love. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was the that was the downside. That was the downside. Oh. so uh, so when I took over. Um, you know, I kind of had a, a sort of two, two week sort of, um, layover with himself and me. And then I, you know, then I was in, you know, in the kitchen doing my menus and dishes and everything. And so we had, uh, told Michelin that, you know, that I was coming in, Richard was leaving. And so we had, in terms of me coming in and him leaving, we had a full year because basically the guide then came out in, uh, end of January um, so I basically came in at the end of January they kept they already kept the two stars so I then had another you know well 10 months to prove myself and I thought okay I'm gonna come in I'm gonna lose one star definitely if not probably two because I'm an unknown nobody knows me and normally obviously to get two stars it takes you know a number of years you know 
anyway, so I went in the kitchen, so, you know, and, and it was funny because literally the chef had told me, oh, you know, the guys in the kitchen, they're all going to stay with you. Don't worry. But literally after like, you know, week two, uh, half of the team had gone because they didn't want to work with me because I was like an unknown. And then, you know, it just literally was for the last, the first six months, there was like me and two other chefs and that was it. So it was just hell. We were again doing, very well in the kitchen. <laughs> yeah, it was tough because we were again doing, you know, 20 hours a day. It was just ridiculous. So anyway, so eventually when, you know, when the guide came out, yeah, the good news was that I kept, I kept um, both stars. So I kept the two stars um and you know i was not i was not expecting it the restaurant manager wasn't i don't think anyone was expecting it so you know it was it was a complete bloody surprise that that happened um and so yeah so i was then the youngest ever <laughs> so yeah. you know it's really interesting because london was never known for its food until recently i feel like london has become such a culinary destination mm having lived in all over the world in japan and tokyo and paris i really come to london and i'm so excited there's such a wide range of cuisines and personally you know on on a bloody sunday i'll have to go to Corvatis and having like an eel sandwich and oysters and a kidney mm. pie but i really feel like you well you guys you you stepped it up it's just incredible yeah, no, London. Uh, London is yeah, a great city. I mean, I think in terms of the diversity of restaurants and uh, in terms of cuisines and everything, it's you know it's, it's really good. It is good. I dream and sleep, and I mean, we're in Corona, but first first trip I can take, I'm gonna you know <laughs> go back to London, and it's um, I, I honestly have the best food memories there. And working with Pascal, it's just such a beautiful journey, and and like. Bravo! It's the you know you have languages from Scotland. You're so close to France, yeah. and 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 you eat so well. You can actually eat so well, and um, you have beautiful Iranian cuisines, you know, mm. and 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 Italian and everything. I think it's to me it's one of the most uh, melting pots. Uh, even 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 if New York is nowhere near close, it's it's just wonderful. It's uh, mm. Wait till yeah. back. <laughs> We're spoiled. We're definitely spoiled. That's nice. <laughs> so, what are your go-to's in London? Like, what do you like to eat when you don't cook? Tell me. Are you bangers and mash kind of guy? Do you like? Mm. What's? I, your, do you like sushi? What do you like? To I, well, I would. I would say you know, in terms of food that I you know that I enjoy the most is obviously more simple cooking because when you're cooking kind of you know fine dining and everything it's the, probably the last thing you want to eat um and my go-to dish would always be uh you know a good roast chicken to be honest um i would say that i've you know i've mastered and mastered and cracked um the best roast chicken although it is very chefy in the way that it's prepared um you know it's brined it's air dried it's slow cooked you know it's like a bloody two-day operation of course but, you, prepare, you have to prepare for it so i yeah. put my chicken supreme and i you know I, I i put it on the rack and i put salt on it and i mm -hmm. eat it for like a few days and then you know the rest is history but 
it can be so delicious. It's such a comfort food. Chicken supreme with, with beans or even roasties. It's like... Yeah. <clears throat> <Stop>. no. <laughs> no. Um, what is your philosophy? So for me, it's, you know, I think out of, um, you know, all the restaurants that I've, you know, ran and obviously operate, you know, it's, it's key, you know, there's the sort of integrity of what we do is, is about, you know, seasonality and, you know, everything that we do is very authentic um, and pure. And I think, you know, the way that we, the way that I now sort of look at, you know, look at food and the way that Muse as well has, has come about is that, I think for people, you know, when they go out to, uh, when they go out to a restaurant, you know, because in London, as you quite rightly said, you know, the, uh, the level is very, very high, you know, they're very consistent, I think in terms of food and service, decor. So it's very difficult now to sort of, I guess, put your head above everyone else. And so what I was, when I was thinking about this, you know, and also, restaurants that I've been to and, and what I enjoy and what I don't enjoy is like when you go out there is always something hopefully that you remember um, and obviously if you haven't remembered then obviously hasn't been all that great um, and so even when I get asked like restaurants that I've been to you know that have been you know quite a few but like it's always only a handful that you can kind of really remember. And so I was thinking about it. So then why don't you try and then recreate for people more memories or memorable moments in their meal where they can then at least have lots of memories that they can attach to their time of coming into Muse. So as I was thinking this, and this has got to be a whole journey from when they come in and then when they leave. Um, and literally bombarding them with like hopefully photographic memorable things. So for instance, like, you know, when they come in, you know, the greeting to the sitting down to having a menu. And again, the menu has always typically been the same. It's a card, a book, you open it and you have your dishes and da da da. You read your menu, whatever it is, roast scallops of this and that and or you know, beef fillet with morels and spinach, and it's kind of boring, so. There's a story to it. Yeah, so what I, so first off with the menu, I kind of did a pop-up. So I got a guy who makes basically pop-ups in children's books to do a pop-up of our house, uh, the Muse, because it's on a corner. So that pops up, which is very different. And then, um, and then you have the two menus on either side of, uh, of the book. And then, you know, throughout, the, obviously, the meal, they have their menu. But again, on the menu, I don't tell them what it is. It's just three ingredients. And then with each dish, there's a story. Um, rather than giving details about how it's cooked, how it's prepared, what it's served with, it's an authentic, true-to-life story or experience that I've had. Or it could be something about a particular ingredient, um, you know, that I'm telling a story about. So that way it relates obviously a bit more personality. It's a bit more thought, it's a bit more detail. And I think overall in terms of, as I said, these memories of giving people, by the end that they leave, they'll have hopefully quite a few things that they've got in their head that have gone, wow, that's amazing. Da, 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 da. And then again, lastly, when they leave, 
we then now give them this little box of, of sort of memorable things. So they get this little bottle of a nightcap. So it's like a, it's, it's an infused spirit. So it'll be the vodka based or gin based. Um, and, uh, I do, (laughs) so I, I do a lot of, you know, infusions with wild forage things. And, um, so they have one of those when they go home and then in the, uh, in the morning, there's a little, two little, uh, brioche, uh, sort of cakes that they have for breakfast and then two homemade, um, tea infusions as well. And then a pot of jam. And then lastly, lastly, they have this little, uh, they have this little um, disc with Muse written on it. And it's basically, it's a seeded, it's a seeded paper with uh, either like a vegetable in it, vegetable seeds or wildflower seeds. And it just says, you know, plant me on it. So as I said, there's all these things that, you know, that will take them on a bit more of a, you know, a fun journey. This is so delicious. I mean, can I teleport now? <laughs> and by the way, I think um, when I was working in Japan, because I, I worked at Den for, for maybe a month, Kozai Hasegawa, and the beauty, the beauty and the love and how they approached customers was so similar. It's mm. get the card, the, it's a journey. Um, when you walk out, there's always a little gift. There's always, when you leave the restaurant, the entire team walks you out and puts you in a cab or it's, it's, mm. it's such a beautiful way of just meeting and greeting the guest and you know they're going to be back. It's just such a attention to a customer. Yeah. Bubble, it's, it's not like, it, it's just such a different philosophy and I find it so beautiful and yeah. And the fact that you forage, and what do you go forage? Can I go foraging? I love it. <laughs> so, what do you go foraging in, in in London? Do you go to like? What well, do you I basically I have a I have a place outside in of London in in uh, in Oxfordshire, and I had that before the first lockdown. So, and where we are, it's literally on a farm as well. So you're literally out. In, so you're out in the in the <laughs> fields and the wild. So there's literally like everything there you know, blackberries and crab apples and rose hips and hawthorns and, you know, everything else. So I was, you know, literally in the lockdown, I was like foraging pretty much every other day. So it was quite good fun. Picking wild roses, you know, for making syrups and elderflower and elderberries. and Elderflower is my personal favorite. Yeah. Number yeah. one and then number two is sea buckthorn, which I'm not sure yeah. you in the UK, but in, in Russia we're... Famous. No, we have we have sea buckthorn here. Yeah. You do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, mean, I think my Russian background speaks for it, but sea buckthorn tea and the jams and just oh, there are certain yeah. ingredients that I miss when I'm when I'm here that I'm just dying for and sea buckthorn and gooseberries and all these things. It just makes me want to move back. <laughs> just, just for that stuff, I'm like I'm ready to go. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, yeah. All these beautiful things aside, how do you see um, COVID impacting restaurants? And, and how do you see yourself as a fantastic chef moving on or changing? Or, or what's, what's the structure? What are you thinking as an artist? Because as an artist, you have to progress and mm-hmm. think whatever the circumstances. So 
what's your take on that so i think listen i you know it was uh obviously completely you know a shot from the blue and everyone was totally uh not expecting anything like this um and the year the year has just you know gone by so quickly but i think you know the the one thing that i would say that is has always you know is always a true like particularly in london you know and outside of london the way that you know obviously people unite together you know when they're when there are difficulties um and that was you know that was amazing to see like you know everyone was helping obviously the you know the, the nhs and the nurses and doing things for them and raising money and so that was you know there was a great sort of spirit behind that um and i think you know the uh sort of yes the downside obviously to not only obviously loss of death but i think you know the the way that um it's affected you know many many businesses has obviously been you know really bad and terrible you know in 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 the uk overall um people obviously lost lost their restaurants and lost livelihoods and, and everything so i think you know it's uh it's not going to be um even over as we know but i think those that are managing to you know to keep going it's it's hard because you just don't know as i said when this is all gonna you know when this is all going to end and then to finish and you know you kind of reassess a lot of things in terms of how you can hopefully you know change your business or improve it to you know to, to to help others or to you know a lot of people did their you know delivery home service and and things like that which we did as well for you know for a while um but i think the sort of you know the true aspect of actually you know going to you know going to a restaurant you know and being able to sit down and enjoy and be free from all the worries is a long still a long way away i think um and i think you know the the next obviously phase in this you know in the uk and and obviously where i am in london you know is is increasingly you know increasingly difficult uh because i don't think we can really see a sort of true end you know to this until obviously all the vaccine has been taken up and in and um you know but until then it's it's still very much a lot of you know a lot of question marks so um after this is over let's say what would be the first place you would go <laughs> well the thing is yeah i mean i i have i'm supposedly got three new projects that i'm supposed to be doing and they're all in different countries all over the world so one is where you have been uh in tokyo uh so i'm supposed to be doing a project in tokyo doing one in jakarta and then one in uh in doha as well yeah, so i heard about that mm -hmm. so it's uh you know it's 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 obviously you know tricky tricky to be able to do these and we're you know we kind of obviously postponed them from from this year um and now going into 2021 um you know it's even still difficult to see when you know when we're going to make that happen because like you know Tokyo one was supposed to be in August, October, and now I think it's going to be you know March, March or April. Um, the one in Doha is also April, and even the one in Jakarta is also April as well. So I think that they're all going to clash. <laughs> I hope for you uh, for the best, but I mean in the meantime, my uh, my 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 go-to <laughs> in February is my cherry blossoms. 
I get a bunch and I put them all over the house. <laughs> and this way I feel like I'm in Japan and I miss it so much. It's so wonderful. Wow. I miss traveling. As long as I, I honestly haven't gotten out of country. And, um, I, I, and I think maybe you could do something like Tom's Gems, Tom's Chocolates. Chef, it was so lovely to speak with you. What an honor. And um, thank you for your time. Pleasure. We'll see Pleasure. you uh, maybe in spring or summer or possible uh, when this lifts and everybody's happy and healthy and we can have a glass of Guinness and exactly. you know, shepherd's pie or something, <laughs> you know, like a game, like a beautiful, beautiful quail. Uh, <laughs> Thank I you know. so much for your time and being a part of Breaking Bread with Vera Lulu. <laughs> Pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much.